Hey guys, what's up? It's time for another episode of The Sassanac Files. This is Chelsea. And this is Rebecca. And today we're coming to you to talk about 110 by the pricking of my thumbs. It's got some new characters in it, so we're excited to talk about that. Before we get started, though, just some minor housekeeping details. Want to let you know that you can find us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. Also, we have our new blog out, which I just put a new entry up this weekend. It is about my ranking of the big books. If you haven't checked it out yet, you should go over to www.thesassanacfiles.com to check that one out. Also, we wanted to let you guys know that we are going to do something a little bit different. We love interacting with you guys. So instead of recording our mini-sodes just us two in our recording room, we're actually going to do live podcasts on Podbean. So we'll give you a little bit more heads up when it gets closer, but we are going to do one at the conclusion of our season one episodes about Jamie and Claire. And we would love for you guys to join us. We'll give you heads up. We'll probably do recording about 9 p.m. Eastern time. That seems to work best for us because Rebecca's on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast. So it gives all of our lovely listeners time to get home from work and cook dinner and listen to us, interact with us. It's going to be great. We're so excited. Yeah, it will be nice to hear like your guys' thoughts and ask us questions of what we thought on something that we didn't bring up. Because man, everything that happens with Jamie and Claire in the second half is just, there's so much going on. So I'm really excited. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm really excited as well. Are you ready to get into By the Pricking of My Thumbs? Um, yes, I am. (laughs) This episode had me rolling on the floor with laughter several times. I forgot, I always forget how funny it is. Yep. Yep. I'm like, this is probably one of my favorites because I laugh so hard. So I'm just glad you found it just as funny. Everyone, Chelsea messaged me going, I forgot how funny this was. So it just brought me joy. (laughs) I think that it's something that Ira Stephen Bear, he wrote this episode. I think it's something that he's really good at. And also Ron Moore seems to be really good at the at the humor as well. Yeah, I was wondering if it was one of them that wrote this episode. So even in the Garrison Commander, which Ira Stephen Bear wrote, like he, that episode is kind of funny in the awkward ways. So, like, mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoy it a lot. Absolutely. This was a bold stroke to start this episode out with an oral sex scene. I will say, I <laughs> was watching this and. <laughs> The very first time I watched it, and my mom walked in the room, and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> She's like, what are you watching? I was like, it's Outlander. <laughs> Isn't it annoying when you're watching something, and it's never anything else that your parents walk in on, but it's something like this. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's not always like this all the time, but this happened. <laughs> it's like, not soft porn, okay? It's not, I swear. <laughs> I, it's really not. Outlander spoils us. Like, there was something I was reading in a book that I'm trying to finish quick um, before I start another one. And, like, their sex is not even close to Jamie and Claire or even Roger and Bree, guys. Okay, guys and gals. I'm seriously sitting there going like, this is lame compared to what I've seen and read in just book one alone. I'm like, Diana has spoiled all of us (laughs) with 
for real good. next time. Goodness. So Jamie is uh, showing Claire how much he loves her. <laughs> and, Which um, is so sweet. It's amazing how, like, <laughs> somebody's literally pounding down their door and he's like, nope, nope, just no. <laughs> We're going to finish this. Nope. And then when he finally decides to answer the door after Claire has had her orgasm, he just gives her this little smile and gets up and walks away. But he's, like, pissy about it, putting on his pants, like, and Myrta comes in, and he's like, what the fuck do you want, man? Married life has made you lazy. And then he looks over at Claire, and he goes, sorry, mistress. And I'm like, there's nothing lazy about what he just did, sir. It's like, dude, if you're freaking pounding on the door, you know there's a newly married couple inside, and they are not answering the door, come back another time, bro. Like, just... Seriously. I was like, Jamie's being very attentive. What do you think he's doing in there? Like, come on, Myrta. Come on. (laughs) And then he's still putting on his pants when Myrta walks into the room. And Claire is like, you know, basking in the afterglow. Myrta's just totally oblivious. He has no clue. Yeah, Claire literally is just basically trying to calm down from this epicness that just happened. And you're right. She's just like... You know, still like breathing, like she's basically still in orgasm. So, Marta's so funny. Oh my God. They start talking about this Duke of Sandringham, which we've heard a little about. We know something about him in particular that he loves the men, but Claire obviously doesn't trust him because of what she had heard the Reverend and Frank talking about, which is he could have been a Jacobite. Or someone just not to be trusted. And um, I loved that flashback. It was really nice to see Reverend Wakefield again. I was like, I just miss you. It was great. I loved the flashback as well. Because it's something that we've seen before. It's not something that they conveniently placed in. They're like, oh, well, let's just pretend that Claire witnessed this conversation. Like, no, we saw this conversation taking place in the very first episode. And they're calling that back to the forefront of the viewers' minds. It was so brilliant the way it was done because we are getting all this information, but we don't remember. They're like, hey, just in case you forgot, they were talking about this. Jamie and Myrta are talking about uh, the Duke and how Jamie's talking about how he was very attentive to him as a boy, which if anybody who read the book, I know we try not to bring book in it, but they dial him down a lot in the show. I'm like, you all are kind of making light of this. Like he basically tried to rape Jamie. It's not okay. Jamie's really kind of sweet. Like he's chill about it ish. Like he doesn't make a big deal out of it either in the book or in the show, but I'm just like, come on guys. He loves Jamie clearly as we see later on in this episode, just like putting his hand on his jaw and all that stuff. But like Myrta's just like creeped out by the whole thing. And Jamie's like, I'm not about to give up my hindquarters just to get the Duke to help him deal with Blackjack. And Claire's sitting there going, Jamie, you can't trust him. And they're like, why? Did Blackjack say something to you about him? Like she just, she says, Jamie, if I tell you something, will you promise not to ask me how I know? And he goes, I told you, you don't have to tell me anything you don't wish to tell me. I promise not to ask you. And she tells him what she knows from the flashback that we get. And Myrta's like, how do you know this? I made no such promise. Tell me how the fuck you know. And Jamie just basically tells him, we're not asking her how she knows. And that's the end of it. The look she gives him, like, 
pipe down, okay? <laughs> We're not totally. <laughs> he just nods. He's like, okay, fine. <laughs> like, I love how yep. Jamie's word is law. He's going to do whatever Jamie wants to do. That was a perfect phrase. Jamie's word is law. And Myrta honors it. It's so funny, the honor that happens. I don't know. It's cool to watch in the period pieces to see like how honor really is such a big deal. And I know it can be like nowadays, it's just a bit different. I think people need more of a smack upside the head about it, but like (laughs) with some things, but it's cool to see it with the Highlanders. Somebody said something and I trust them. So I'm not going to deal with it anymore. I did want to point out a showrunner oops for this moment because ever since I've seen this episode, since the first time I watched it, I have not been able to unhear it. It's so like just tattooed in my brain. I can't let it go. And that is when Claire actually says, Jamie, if I tell you something, will you promise not to ask me? And then Jamie says this, I've told you, you don't have to tell me anything you don't wish to tell me. It bugs me because I'm like, that conversation never happened. And as a show watcher, I feel like that conversation was needed because it's actually pretty vital to their relationship, to be honest. I've been sitting there thinking about it a lot. Like this conversation does happen in the book during the wedding chapters, if I'm remembering correctly, but Mm -hmm. like it never actually took place in the show. And I feel like saying it's a side convo that the viewer never got is kind of cheap. And I'm like, this is something that needed to be seen. I get with some stuff maybe, but like my brain has not been able to let it go. It's like so frustrating. I'm like, I wish I would have seen it. And again, it honestly is just a part of their relationship. Jamie doesn't really question her that often. Like if she says something, he believes her. It is a deleted scene from the wedding episode. Like they did write it. But I also, after watching that scene, I see why they cut it out of the show because it really just didn't flow with the rest of the episode. So I get it on a technical level why they cut it. I do agree with you. It's a big part of their relationship. I mean, obviously, we're not seeing every single thing that happens between Jamie and Claire. And I don't necessarily think it's cheap that they are just saying this was an off-screen conversation because that happens. But... What ifs? If it bothers you, you have a right to let it bother you. So, and I'm sure it bothers other people too. (laughs) If it didn't happen there, I almost feel like these lines shouldn't have been here because it does confuse just viewers. Like I would be wondering like, when did it happen? And I thought maybe I had missed something. So every time I had rewatched episodes before this one, I looked for it and never found it. So it's interesting. If anybody else actually has that highlighted in their brain and can't let it go, send that my way. We can be in this together. All right. So after this scene, we go to Jamie and Myrta talking to Ned. Yeah. And he basically is like, well, it's a long shot. I really don't think that the Duke's going to be able to give you a pardon. It's really beyond his power. And Jamie's like, so basically this conversation is a moot point and gets up to leave. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. I didn't say that. (laughs) Being the the weaselly lawyer that he is, he's like, I didn't say that. So basically, Ned has come up with this master plan to draw up a petition of complaint against Blackjack Randall, 
saying that he's committed all of these injustices and crimes against the Scottish people. And the plan is to have the Duke of Sandringham take this petition to the Court of Sessions, which will hopefully result in the arrest of Black Jack Randall. And if he's convicted of these crimes that are in the document, they're hoping that he's going to sent to, and I quote, some West Indies hellhole <laughs> to serve out the rest of his military career, <laughs> hoping that with him completely out of the picture, Ned can take Jamie's case to court. Nobody witnessed this so-called murder of this red coat that Jamie committed. So with no witnesses, he's hoping he can get Jamie a pardon. This is the game plan. And in obvious Outlander fashion, something goes awry, but that's a conversation for another day. Oh my gosh. The next scene is Claire confronting Leary on her pass at Jamie. And obviously, well, when she walks into the room, Leary's helping her aunt, correct? Is Mrs. Fitz her grandmother. Mrs. Fitz is like, oh, hey, Claire, like, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, oh, shit, something's about to go down. And Claire's like, I need to talk to Leary. Leary's obviously afraid. Like, she knows. She knows what's about to go down. Like, don't even. And Mrs. Fitz is like, okay, if you need anything, like, I'll be over here. And she's looking at her granddaughter. And I was like, what does Mrs. Fitz know about her granddaughter? I just thought it was interesting to see how she was looking at her. Claire... Is like, I listen, I get it. You're hurt. Jamie and I did not plan this. And it's like not registering in Leary's head at all that neither of them planned to get married. Claire's like, I get it. For someone so young, it can be really hurtful. And I can see why you put this ill wish under the bed. But stay away from him. He is my husband. And then Leary's like, just must be so awful for him to have to have sex with you. Claire slaps her, which I think I probably would have done the same maybe because if anybody has that said to them, like someone has to get drunk to have sex with you, that would be hurtful. But I appreciate that Claire apologized because she did let the emotions get the better of her. She totally didn't mean it. (laughs) She she was like, I shouldn't have done that. Sorry. (laughs) Probably about how I would have apologized in that situation. I'm like, um, yeah, sorry. Not sorry. And it's kind of funny to see that Claire had this intense of a reaction for someone who was just trying to get back to her husband not that long ago. So, like, something I noticed this round, like, she she just slapped her. This, Yeah, this episode, Leary was not a she did a (laughs) no-no like you do not do stuff like that get someone taken to prison for being a witch like the fuck just because of a boy like come on this is where I don't feel for her really anymore because it's just this is not okay one thing that I thought was interesting and I really just kind of put the pieces together when you were talking yeah so we were talking about how Claire turned the corner real quick on being really possessive of Jamie in this situation and I thought oh this is where they tied in what we missed in the reckoning so in the book portion of the reckoning episode she was like where have you been you know when Jamie comes back but we didn't ever really get the jealousy angle in the reckoning This is them putting in Jealous Claire, and it's in this episode instead of The Reckoning. Interesting. 
okay, I buy that. I buy that. Yeah, because she is. She's like unrealistically jealous. She's got all of these scenarios going in her head and everything like that. But we did never really get that before. This is yep. where that comes in. <laughs> yep, which is totally normal. I feel like any of us would have been like that maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you're married now to someone and you just had sex with them and there's all this weird stuff happening. And she's clearly not admitting she even remotely likes Jamie like that. So obviously it's going to come up somewhere. Claire can be so funny sometimes in her thought process. I'm like, girl. It's an interesting situation for sure. Definitely in denial about her own feelings towards Jamie at this point, I think. I think she's getting there, like at the end of the reckoning when they reconciled and she agreed that they should make up and not live apart. I think that was the beginning of her seeing her own attachments and emotions, but she's still got a long way to go, for sure. Yeah. So the next scene we get is the farting judge that is married to Galus. He's like throwing a hissy fit. For obvious reasons, nobody likes constipation. And when you're gassy, that is not fun and it's not coming out. That is a very uncomfortable feeling. So I get him, but he's also been doing this a lot. So that's a little weird. Maybe the dude needs to change his diet. But I just love that Claire helps him because she's like, I can't deal with him complaining. So she hands him whatever. And she's trying to see if Galus is even there because Leary said, you should talk to your friend Galus because she's the one that made that ill wish for me. She she doesn't like you, blah, 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 blah. And Claire goes searching for her because Galus' maid tells her you can find her in the woods at this time, this place. Whenever this scene happened, I was just thinking like, okay, so Jenny knows where Galus is. How many other people know where Galus is and what she's doing? You know, like, I don't feel like Galus is being very careful. I think she's being very, here I am, this is who I am, and this is what I do in the woods on whatever stage of the moon. I just feel like what happens at the end of this episode, dude, you should have been more careful. People know stuff about her. I think we find out a little bit more in the next episode. Some things get a little bit more explained now that her husband, as we see in the episode, he dies because she poisoned him. He was her protection. And... Nobody really said anything because she was married and that was that. But you're right. She just, she's Galus. Let me tell you, Galus has like no filter at all. But it's funny that she's so protective of Claire in an odd way. Like Claire, like don't do this. Like when they were walking down the path and Claire, here's the baby. Galus was like, don't do anything with that. But I'm like, girl, you were literally dancing around naked. So, like, I don't understand what your thing is. Or talking about abortions and all that stuff with the first person you meet. The first conversation they have, Galus is like, I help women kill babies. You know what I mean? Like, she just had no filter. Galus, goodness sakes, lady. Yeah, she's not careful at all, for sure. She's having this ritual in the woods. Yeah. And... The parallels between this and the Druid dance back in the 1940s that Claire witnessed with Frank. Obviously, there are a lot of similarities. But Galus has put a Galus spin on this. So it is the most sexual Druid ritual I have ever witnessed. (laughs) What am I watching right now? (laughs) 
She is channeling her sexual energy in the right time of the moon, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) We see that she's pregnant, the way she holds her belly. Mm -hmm. And what I find so funny, because this is such a gayless thing to do, like it did not surprise me one bit when she went, you can come out, Claire. I love when someone watches me. And she loves when the cool wind is on her skin and hardens her nipples. Like, I just, Claire was like, I can see it does that for you, for sure. It kind of makes sense that she's like that, given her particular circumstances in life. (laughs) Not going to say too much without giving it away, but her personality and her character traits make a little bit more sense after the devil's mark. Totally. Do you think that the summoning that we just witnessed had any bearing on the story? Or do you think that it was just coincidence what happened with Dougal's wife? I think we are pretty powerful with our thought processes and what we want, which is why I think we should really be careful what we put our energy into. I kind of mildly agree with the whole law of attraction thing, which is kind of what she was doing a little bit and Mm -hmm. trying to go in sync with the moon. I think there is some valid stuff with that. So like, I think I lean towards more the, yeah, I highly doubt it could have been that random, but that's just Mm -hmm. my thought process. I don't know. What what about you? I think that within the realm of the story, since yeah, I mean, it is a it is a sci-fi story. I know it's based in the world of fact, but we're also in a story where time travel is real. So I tend to believe that the summoning may have caused Mora to kick the bucket. Uh, of course, she might have been sickly. There's probably a lot about that story we don't know. Hell, maybe that's one of the stories that Diana's working on in her spare time. But yeah, I tend to think that within the realm of the Outlander universe that at least witchcraft in some degree or another exists. Galus knew what she was doing. She was just putting it into the universe or whatever what she wanted to have happen. And I That's... completely agree with you. Again, it's valid what you said. Like, we are in a show that has time travel. How could this only be coincidence? So Yeah, exactly. Isn't it crazy that we find out that Galus and Dougal are together? Do you think that makes sense for them to be together? Oh, 100%. Whenever I read that for the first time, I was like, of course they are. I mean, first of all, they're both crazy as shit. Second of all, they're both (laughs) very passionate Jacobites. I think it's a a political relationship that involves sexual chemistry you know, it lights the fire in each other, I guess. But yeah, it 100% made sense to me. And um, Graham McTavish actually said something in an interview that I thought was very interesting. He said that he likens their relationship to Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. Holy shit. That makes total sense. Lady Macbeth, man, she just led her husband astray. It was horrible. And then he ends up being tormented throughout his life. And they both end up being tormented throughout their life because of what they do. And it's just, it's nuts. So they are headed down a black hole, basically, is what he is saying. Like, that relationship is not good at all. They are not good for each other. 
it's just going to end in tragedy. So that was perfect. If you haven't seen it or read the play, like get on it because I think he described them really well (laughs) in that statement. Yeah, I thought it was extremely interesting. A very good parallel to draw for people that might not necessarily see that aspect of their relationship. It's very interesting. Something else that we find out over the course of Galus revealing her relationship with Dougal to Claire. When they're walking through the woods on the way home from the summoning, they're just chatting and telling each other what's up with their lives. And I'm thinking they really are really good friends at this point. And they've probably known each other for what, six months, I would say. And they're just kind of chatting and whatever. And Galus shows this pearl bracelet to Claire. I was like, oh, Dougal gave it to me. It's from the Duke of Sandringham. And Claire's like, huh? It turns out that yet another thing that we saw but didn't realize that we saw in the first episode was that the Duke of Sandringham is a suspected Jacobite in the realm of history 200 years hence. There are scholars that believe that he could have been a Jacobite. And all the dominoes start to fall for Claire. She's like, uh-huh, this makes sense. How am I going to use this knowledge to my advantage? And then the baby starts crying and we get thrown off course. I would be like Claire, like, where the fuck is this baby so I can help it? Mm -hmm. Um, And Galus is like, leave it alone. This is part of the whole thing. And I kind of forgot the folklore of it all. But like, you're killing your baby. It's sad. It's really sad that they really believe this. Galus pieces out and Claire finds the baby. But like, I love when Jamie shows up and he says, to her when he takes the baby from her arms and he's looking around like hopefully nobody saw this because she shouldn't have been interrupting this whole thing. I love that he says none of them know anything outside of what Father Bane has told them. They've not been out of their little towns, their houses, and all they get is this religious stupidity in front of them. So this is what they believe. It's sad. And she couldn't save this baby. So... I I just really fell for her. And then she says, like, take me home. And then I completed that sentence with something else. <laughs> we hear a lot. <laughs> we hear later. <laughs> Another thing that he said to her that really stood out to me was right before he takes the baby from her, he says, you have a kind heart, but you have no idea what you're dealing with. It's so true. Like, that's the story of Claire in the 18th century for the majority of the first season. You have the best intentions possible, but it's not doing you any good because you have no clue what you're dealing with. It's just so unfortunate. It's really sad. It really does bite her in the ass. And like, here's the thing in this scenario, like she wasn't doing anything stupid that made me want to smack her upside the head. This is a logical response when you hear Mm -hmm. a baby crying and it's left in a tree to freeze to death. There's a reason why it was crying like that. It was freezing to death. It really bothers me. (laughs) I know. It bothers me too. But like there are other scenarios where you just want to smack her upside the head. But here was something that I noticed throughout this episode was like she was getting that phrase basically in every turn. You do not understand what is happening right now. Like Galus is telling her this. There was multiple times she's hearing those exact lines just a little differently. Like even the Duke kind of says like, oh, 
I can't wait for your head to be on a pike, you know, like <laughs> that kind of thing. Like because of you being how you're being right now, it was interesting. Did you kind of notice that connection? I actually didn't, but it makes sense in the context of where the episode ends. Like it's massive foreshadowing. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So we get back to the castle and Jamie is going over the petition of complaint with Claire and she's super iffy about it because she knows that the Duke of Sandringham is a sketchy person and her conversation with Galus is not helping her doubts at all because now she knows that somehow Sandringham is connected to Dougal and he's connected to Blackjack and she hasn't really put the pieces together yet but she knows this dude is bad news so Mm -hmm. She's just sitting there rubbing her neck, trying not to get a migraine. And Jamie is like, look, I know that you don't trust him, but I have to try. Like, this may be my only chance. Can't you just sign the damn thing and trust that I'm doing what's best for us? (laughs) (laughs) Just listen to me, woman. (laughs) Right. It's like, Claire, please just listen to me. (laughs) Claire. Oh, God. <laughs> um, I had a, a random thought because I actually agree with you on this. I don't know if this line of thought is actually true, but I wonder if there was a tiny bit where she maybe was like, oh, crap. Like, I'm actually going to be writing my new last name on this piece of paper. It made me think about that, going like, she's going to actually have her name be written down. Like, that would be intense mm-hmm. for That's me anyway. Interesting. Yeah, I know. Good job, Rebecca. It was awesome. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So something that I can't unsee, get ready for it. You had yours. Now I have mine. So Jamie signs his name three distinct times in this series. None of those signatures look the same, folks. <laughs> like, legitimately, you, it bothers me. <laughs> do, do you think his penmanship has gotten better over the years? Or do no. you think it actually... Okay. Because, like, I know as we age, our writing does get a little different. So maybe that could be an argument made. So in season one, when we see the signature on the petition of complaint, it's all of his names in very teeny tiny chicken scratch writing. And then in season four, he's signing a document and it's this sweeping, really official, very careful, cursive, beautiful signature. And then in Mm -hmm. season five, he's signing another document. And literally it's probably been like a span of what, four years at this point. And his handwriting has like, it's totally Sam writing in that scene. Like you're watching Sam do it. So yes, that explains why it looks different, but let's get it together, people. <laughs> we need some consistency here, all right? We do notice these things. The next scene we get is beautiful Scottish land and someone going, Ah, oh, Scotland. I suppose it'll have to do. And that is the Duke of Sandringham, who is played by the, like, seriously wonderful, magnificent, Simon Callow. I just freaking love him. Anything I've seen him in, he's in the Phantom of the Opera. He's in Four Weddings and a Funeral. He's in so much. And I just, I love him as an actor. 
And like I said earlier in the podcast, like I love him as the Duke in the show, but man, the character, the Duke himself in the book, I just don't like at all. So I really don't understand why I love him in the show because he really is kind of an asshat. But like, he's seriously one of the most lovable people that I end up missing. Every time I see random Outlander gifs in comments of him, I'm like, oh my God. So I just think he is so ridiculous and would have loved to have been in the room when he auditioned because I'm sure he totally came up with his whole demeanor and everything. Yeah, he's freaking fantastic. And he does this shocked face so well. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but clearly he does know what she's talking about. Yep. It's like, yeah. A petition of complaint against Captain Randall, Poppycock. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Like, yes, dude, you know, he's a terrible person. Let's just get on with it. And so Claire is just telling him, yeah, look, my husband's going to present this petition of complaint to you later and you should really consider it. (laughs) And, you know, then it gets into this whole big, long conversation. He tries to distract her one way or the other. I'm sure you'll bear Jamie many beautiful children, but my time is not my own. Blah, blah, blah. He's so ridiculous. He is. (laughs) The line libelous falsities cracks me up every time and then he's like oh that's very good and he turns to his clerk and was like write that down (laughs) this is my biography (laughs) Uh, and claire's like memorable (laughs) like (laughs) like what am i supposed to say (laughs) but god like he points out like oh you're here on your own Jamie sure knows how to pick them, you know, and Mm -hmm. I really love the man, you know, it's just like he is a a man. We Uh agree with you, but still, this is weird. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. And so he like thinks that he's gonna finally push her out the door. And she's like, Oh, one more thing, if you don't mind. And he was like, Oh, for sure. Go ahead. And she like drops the bomb and is basically blackmailing him. like. Uh, Claire. Yeah. (laughs) Like, shut up, woman. Like, oh my God. This is, this is Claire. Let's be honest. (laughs) She does bring up a good point, though. She's like, so how much gold did Dougal give you? It was like, she finally connected the dots on why the Duke of Sandringham is in league with Dougal. And I'm not sure if she's put the dots together on Blackjack yet. And I don't think that the show ever really does connect those dots. I always found that plot line fascinating, quite frankly. Ooh, so we get more on that. That's exciting. The Duke of Sandringham completely underestimated Claire and the amount of information that she had at her disposal. And he does a 180 and he's like, you know what? I would be happy to talk to Jamie about his petition of complaint. I do love him so much. <laughs> love him. Self-preservation is his only game. He doesn't care what he has to do as long as he ends up looking good at the end of whatever is happening. He is such a little weasel. And so the next scene is Claire getting to Castle Leoc and Rupert and Angus come running up to her and they're like, come quick. 
McDougal's flipped his shit. <laughs> like, oh my god, like, Dougal bugs me. Like, a few episodes ago, he's trying to have sex with Claire because he's all jealous of Jamie and blah, blah, blah. When he has Galus, too, and he's gotten her pregnant, like, dude, and you're flipping out like this about your wife who you haven't been living with for a while. I guess the argument could be made that they did kind of have a little bit of a connection, but, like, the guy, like, is really flipping out about his wife dying. I just, I find it hard to believe that he felt this much for her. You know what I mean? I mean, I get he can have emotions. It's just, this was a bit much, maybe. Part of what I wondered was if he knew what Galus was trying to do and he felt a little guilty about it after the fact. And Mm. then he was just drunk off his ass because he just kept saying, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. And then He he said... She deserved better than me at the end. Yes. And Yep. I was just about to say that, so I'm glad you said that. Yeah, and it was kind of funny to watch all of them going like, oh, shit. But it was funny to hear what Colin said. Did you bring some potion to muzzle this idiot? <laughs> well, thanks, Colin. Such a good brother. Very attentive to his emotions. Well, so in Colin's defense, he's destroying everything within reach. <laughs> like- He's probably just seeing the dollar signs stack up like, okay, and that's something else that I've got to buy. And that's something else. I have to go to Ikea now. Damn it. Right. <laughs> got to buy a whole new set of cups because Dougal just <laughs> broke them. <laughs> oh, my God. Can we just, like, give some praise to Graham? Because that must have been a fun scene for him to shoot. Just to him yell and throw things. Like, it's probably every actor's dream. Just be in front of the camera and be able to not have to care about stuff like that. You know, like, be in mm-hmm. the zone. I'm also betting that he probably slept for, like, three days after that scene. <laughs> that takes a lot out of you. And he probably also didn't have a voice by the time that day was over. Like, just imagine, like, screaming at the top of your lungs over and over. Goodness. I wonder how many takes that actually took. (laughs) I love that Colin's like, okay, now that Dougal's down on the ground, like, she, like, tranquilized him, all right? She probably gave him enough to put down an elephant. It took, like, 12 men to pick him up. Well, it was probably, like, eight. And (laughs) Rupert... (laughs) If you drop him, I'll have your balls. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, and I wrote it down too. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> the next moment is Galus is really happy because her and Claire are at the mall doing whatever. And um, she's like, yeah, so like, I'm really happy. And Claire's like, this is a coincidence. And Galus is like, we don't know that. It could have been what I did. But anyways, I'm just excited because that's one step closer to me and Dougal being together because we're in love, which that's not really true. Like you had said, it's basically the love for the Jacobite rebellion and all that. It's not really for each other. So they both have a common goal and that can be sexually arousing. So like, (laughs) there you go. And I love at the end of that conversation, Claire's like, well, I think your husband will have something to say about you and Dougal trying to get together. And Galus turns to Claire and gives her this little, 
<laughs> and this look. Which is so gayless to do. She mm-hmm. does that all the time. That, <laughs> And you just know she's got something up her sleeve. She's pulling something. So that's why nobody, especially Claire, is surprised to see Arthur Duncan drop dead at the next gathering. Oh my god, can we just like deep dive into that moment? Because, so when he falls, she's like looking because Claire's going in and doing her thing as a healer. And then when he dies, Claire looks over at Galus because she could smell the poison. And mm-hmm. Galus is looking at Dougal. And oh my god, Dougal is smirking. And he kind of nods a little bit. Colum sees this. And Colum's mm-hmm. like, fuck, like he was pissed. Once Dougal nods, that's when Galus goes, oh my god, my husband! And I was like, man, that is like fucking insane. That would be a trip. I thought it was shot brilliantly because in editing, if you switch camera angles too often, it creates a choppy vibe, which in certain instances can be useful. But this one had a flow to it because it was clear looking at Galus, and then it was Galus looking at Dougal. And then in the same shot, Dougal's in focus, and then Dougal comes out of focus, and you see Colin looking at Dougal. It's all very, like, one perspective shifting into another, and it's all happening in slow motion to replicate that not a lot of time is passing, but that there are certain people in this room that know what's going on, and they see it. I just thought it was brilliant. I'm glad you talked about that because that was some really good shootage. But let's rewind because before this even happens, Jamie and Myrta go see the Duke of Sandringham. Again, I just love how dramatic the Duke is. Seriously, he's a hoot. This episode was freaking hilarious. Jamie and Myrta are talking to him and basically like bringing up that, you know, they know he's kind of in league with BJR and the Duke's like, I didn't realize my escapade with BJR were so well known and he goes I must say it's really tiring trying to make sure he's not caught for anything um and he goes he's just basically like but I will help you Jamie you man you grabs his his chin chin and it's like oh my and Jamie's (laughs) like what the fuck is happening (laughs) and Myrtle's like ew I think this was the line he had said before he even grabs his chin. I wrote it down because it made me laugh so hard. They had just talked about doing the duel and everything. And the Duke says, alas, my servants are chosen for their beauty, not their belligerence. You, of course, contain within you a sublime combination of the two. And I looked up what belligerence means. And it says aggressive or warlike behavior and I was like that's hot warlike behavior (laughs) and um I don't blame the duke at all for saying it the way he said it but like that's when Jamie was like "Uh (laughs) uh-huh what are you getting at (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I kept thinking Sam Hewen must be like flipping his shit going like Simon Callow is literally touching my chin right now. Right? His facial expression is perfect because he's going, this is happening. Simon Callow is in front of me right now. Yeah, it's all freaking hilarious. That entire scene had me giggling. (laughs) And when the Duke of Sandringham is like, okay, yeah, I will present your 
petition of complaint to the court of sessions. But basically, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I expect mine to be equally as spotless. And like has this arm around Jamie and Jamie's just like, what the fuck is he about to ask me to do? <laughs> yep. Yep. He's just With- got this almost look of panic on his face. He was like, what is, what is going to happen right now? Yeah. Well, what's he going to ask me to do? And I'm probably going to have to do it because I need this mm-hmm. dealt with, with BJR. Right. And from yeah. past stuff that has happened, Jamie says the Duke of Sandringham has made passes at him. Like he was very attentive to him. So like, what's he going to want from me? And Jamie's very keen on getting this dealt with. So again, so that he can be able to go home and stuff. That's when the Duke asks him like to be my right hand man. What we didn't mention was when Jamie and Murta were going into the Duke's house, two Scotsmen come out and them and the Mackenzies have bad blood between them. So that was where it was sketchy territory when the Duke asked Jamie to stand by his side when nobody shoots at anybody. It's basically wasting a bullet. Like, are you serious right now? The duel thing, it's so weird. The whole code of honor in this scenario is so stupid to me. Like, that bullet could be used for something else. Murta's like, Jamie, are you really going to do this? We can't actually do this. It, it was interesting, Jamie willing to do anything just to get BJR off his back, you know? So One thing that I noticed was that this is the first time that we see Jamie in a formal setting without a kilt on. I almost was wondering if it was like a little bit of a diplomatic move. Like, okay, I'm going to wear pants, not my kilt, be on a little bit of a middle ground with this English person that I'm trying to get on my side. Or he could have been like trying not to give this man easy access. You know? Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but Murta's there, so it's fine. The next thing that we see is the scene back at the castle. And... The one thing that I have written down for this scene is, man, I'm really glad that we don't put dead animals on top of our food anymore. (laughs) The peacock on top of the pie. I was just like, uh, why was this ever a thing? It's kind of gross. (laughs) Yeah, it was a little weird. Anyway, so yeah, super glad we don't do that anymore. Other than that, so we get another scene between Claire and the Duke of Sandringham where she's like... (laughs) You piece of shit. Are you kidding me right now? (laughs) You put my husband in a duel. Like she said, I will kick your ass if something happens to him. There better Mm -hmm. not be anything that happens. Quid pro quo, Duke of Sandringham. (laughs) (laughs) So later at the duel, after Jamie gets hurt, he's like, tell your wife it wasn't my fault. I love that. Tell her, tell her it was not my fault. And oh my God, that whole moment was so funny and the music and everything. And he's just this dramatic person like, oh, I promise I will keep my word. I'll deal with this. But like, tell her it was not me because he knows Claire is going to kill him. But can we comment on Jamie's mom jokes? Like, seriously, that's what even started the blood to happen. He just basically... Just was like your mom, and the guys were like, "What'd you just say?" <laughs> but they were bad mathing too. They had yep. it coming. Yeah, totally. And Jamie was like, "Tell your boys to shut it." They were egging him on a little bit, but I'm like, "Dude, seriously, boys are a little bit." <laughs> yeah, well, 
a lot. We're talking about how him and the Duke of Sandringham were gonna go <laughs> have a good Fuck, time basically. in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, bend each other over. Jamie took all of them. Was it like four of the boys? Damn, like three he was of them. Like, yeah. After he'd already been hurt, that's what got me was that he'd already taken a sword in the side and then still proceeded to kick three guys' ass. It was crazy. Yep. Oh my god, it was so funny. So like literally the next scene is Claire just <laughs> sewing him up and Jamie's just like this really worked out fine, didn't it? Because he can tell she's pissed and blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, you're awfully quiet, Claire. You're normally not like this. You you normally talk. Please, please get mad at me. Um, and she's just like the good Katrina mad face. Oh, side note. In that moment, there are bloopers where she almost gets Sam's skin, actually. She did. She did get him. And he was like, uh, ow, that's real skin. <laughs> She's like, oh my god, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, because I thought she grabbed his skin and he pulled, pushed her hand away. It was like, fuck Mm-mm. no, you're not doing that. No, okay. she like stuck the needle in too far <laughs> and got him. <laughs> she was like, ow. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> and so she still stays mad. So we're back to Claire. And then he's like, oh, okay, like, oh. Silence is fine. Like, that's all right. Like, no words needed. I get it. Actually, what was his exact wording? He said, quiet anger can be very effective. (laughs) He's learning. He's learning as a newbie. Oh, Oh God. God. That That entire scene. He's just, like, doing that thing we all do where we know our significant other is just pissed. So we're, like, trying to fill the silence with, like, words. Anything to get them distracted from their anger. (laughs) And so someone comes in and says, Colm is asking for you. And Dougal and Jamie with Ned in the room. So Jamie and Dougal are about to get some sentencing happening. And I'm like, Dougal, is it really the time for you to be sarcastic? You're such an idiot. Calm's talking to him about Galus and everything and her being pregnant because Dougal says she's pregnant. We're in love. Yay, I'm happy. And Colm's like, pregnant? Like, this is happening. And he goes, what? Need I tell you how children are conceived? I was like, are you fucking serious right now? You just need a good smack upside the head. I feel like it was different a little bit because he was trying to joke. Like, he's actually kind of happy that Galus is pregnant and yeah. he's kind of like trying to get Colm to maybe be a little happy for him. And Colm's just yeah. not freaking having it. <laughs> he's like, nope. Um, no. He's saying like, you're not going to be with her at all. You think this is going to happen because her husband's dead and your wife's dead? No, no, no. Not while I'm in charge. I can kind of see that being a thing. But the way he treats Jamie was a little bit saddening. I feel like Colm has a bit too much power at times. So he basically tells Jamie, like, you're going with Dougal because I'm banishing him for a bit. And just to make sure you stay there with my brother and make sure he's staying in line, your wife's staying here, buddy. And Jamie was about to say something, and he goes, you keep your trap shut, boy. Like, yeah. <laughs> just was like, Colm was, like you said, not having any of it because Jamie shed blood, you know. Yeah, I feel like Jamie's mishap was very badly timed. I feel like if it had just happened on any given day, he might have been able to talk his way out of it. 
But Colin was so incensed by what is happening with Dougal and Galus and all of that. He's just beside himself. And then the news that he's got one more thing to deal with, with the whole Jamie and the McDonald's thing. He's just over it. He's like, both of you get out of my sight. I don't want to see you anymore. Bye. Yeah. And so they're about to leave and Jamie's talking to Claire and everything he says goes in one ear and out the other, which per huge, at least that's how it looks in the show. So he's like, stay away from Galus. Her husband's dead. There's a lot of talk about her, like, just stay away because I'm going to be gone. And she's just petting a horse like, sure, honey. That's it. And so Dougal says, say goodbye to your woman. <laughs> Kiss her goodbye and let's go. And then he says, um, I said kiss her, did not swallow her. <laughs> I love that moment. Literally right after this moment, what happens? Claire gets a letter from Galas, and what does she do? Her first initial instinct is to go to her, which, what did Jamie say? Do not hang out with Galas while I'm gone. Things are about to get batshit, and I need you to hear me. I don't think it go was ahead. right after. I think it had at least been a week or so, because there's the whole scene with Mrs. Fitz in the kitchen where she's like, I do wish that you'd be more careful around the ovens. That's twice in one week and all of that. So I do think that it was a little bit of time, but yeah, Claire still doesn't listen. But that's something that we we all know. We've come to accept yeah. that about Claire. There was this one moment when they're saying goodbye in the courtyard and she says, come back to me, James Fraser. And he just gives her this little look like, I really wish I could stay with you right now. He's having such a hard time leaving her. And he just yeah. smiles and says, as soon as I can. And gets on the horse and leaves. And I'm like, don't leave her, Jamie. Don't do it. Yep. Well, just you wait, Claire. Yeah, so she goes to Galus's. And I'm like, girl, I get you really have this caring heart. Like, I get her in this. Like, I really do. But boundaries are boundaries. So she shows up at the house and she's like, Galus, is everything okay? You wrote me a letter. And she's like, what are you talking about? And um, she looks up the letter and she goes, I didn't write this. And she's like, Galus, you need to get out of here. Whatever's going on, you need to go. It's not safe for you. Colm is like not happy. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Dougal's going to take care of me. We hear knocks at the door and... They're like, Galus Duncan, you're under arrest. You know, I didn't hear everything that they said, but it was kind of scary. And the maid was like, what do I do? And Claire's like, just go. I'll find you in that one spot in the woods and everything will be fine. Um, and Galus is just like, what? No, it's fine. Everything's okay. Everything's <laughs> all good. Just let him in. And I'm like, you are a fucking idiot. <laughs> like if you hadn't let them into your house, Oh, my God. And then Claire gets arrested. Oh, look, the other witch. She says, like, I don't know why I'm getting arrested. Because you're stupid and you were there. She gets put into the little tiny jail um, on the carriage. And she looks out through the bars and sees Leary smirking. Yeah, like, fucking serious. Like, this is where... Just again, I do not feel for Leary anymore because this was just not okay. Claire's just I'm, like, what just happened? <laughs> so yeah, 
Claire gets taken to prison with Galus as a witch, and that's how the episode ends. Fuck. Good episode. <laughs> it was a good episode. I I always forget how funny it is, and it has a really good ending as well. It just kind of gets lost in the shuffle because there on the back half of season one, a lot is happening. And yeah, so many good episodes. So yeah, are you ready to get into best performance yum moment and our favorite quote? Absolutely. So would you like to go first? So I am curious to know if your yum moment is the same as mine because the opening scene was pretty hard to top in my opinion so, <laughs> yeah um, yeah that's my yummy yep. moment for sure um it's pretty obvious that was a really good engine go getter mm-hmm. you know thank yeah, you yeah and it's <laughs> right and it's like so unusual to see that kind of thing in tv so i was like oh alrighty, we're doing this <laughs> yeah Women getting oral sex in general mm-hmm. was like the shocking thing for me because we get it in Sassanac. Like that mm-hmm. shocked me. I went, wait a minute. And she's like telling him, I want this. And he did it for her. So like mm-hmm. girl is helping some ladies out. And it kind of shows, I guess in this scene, like I really appreciated seeing that Jamie was serving her really well. So ladies, we get to hold out for a guy like that. You know what I'm saying? Like someone who's like, I want you to be happy. So it's just, it's a sweet moment. And also just like, damn. And it was also really interesting because the director, when he came to this episode, made the comment, I want to start this episode with a sex scene. It wasn't initially written into the script, but the director made the decision that that's how he wanted to start the episode. So they were thinking about it and like, what can we do that's different from everything else this season? And they came up with this, uh, which I thought was very interesting and definitely different than everything else we see this season. I think it flowed well with what happened in the reckoning at the end. Like Mm -hmm. they're in connection now and they're staying connected in this way. So like they've worked through that, gotten over that weird hump and then went into this. It was it was a perfect way to start the episode. Good job, Richard Clark. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the oral. Best performance, Chelsea. Who was yours? Simon Callow was my best performance. But I also think that Lada Verbeek did an amazing job as well. Yeah. Yeah. They were kind of tied, I felt like. Yeah. So I wrote down basically everyone, and I said mostly the side characters. So I'm in full agreement with you. Like, I thought Graham did well as well as Gary Lewis. Everyone did a wonderful job. Did you have a favorite quote? Honestly, I don't think I really have one for this episode. It was just kind of like everything was amazing. So I just kind of left it. I did. I had one that one that stood out this time, guys. I know that that doesn't happen very often. But mine was, I must admit, shielding him from his misdeeds sometimes feels like a full time occupation. And I loathe work. (laughs) I loathe the work. Uh, anyway so yeah I was like that is yes I love that line Simon Callow man he's amazing yes he is (laughs) I wonder who he bases that character off of you know like because actors feed off of different people so it's like (laughs) he said it's actually somebody that he knows but they're a pretty famous actor so he was going to keep their name undisclosed 
I wonder if it's Kenneth Branagh or something. (laughs) (laughs) That brings us to the end of our episode analysis on 110 by the pricking of my thumbs. And it has been a pretty fun discussion. Like normal, we're going to go into the Sassanac Files Recommends before we let you guys go for the week. So, Rebecca, I know you have a couple of them. So, do you want to do your first one and then I will do one and then you can do your second one? Oh, yeah. Let's do that. Um, I will do my first one and it'll be quick. Something I've watched multiple times and did not think that I would love as much as I do, but I freaking love it. And it's Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Um, It has Lily James, Sam Riley, and Matt Smith, and a bunch of other people you would recognize. Hilarious stuff. If you are familiar with Pride and Prejudice at all, I think you would freaking love this. I would say either read the book if you're not familiar with it or watch the mini series with Colin Firth. Those are the perfect two to either get you into this movie. What about you? Um, So I actually finished watching Titanic Blood and Steel on Amazon Prime this past week. And it's pretty good. I was left wondering a little bit how much of it is historically accurate, which it turns out not a lot of it. So as long as you go into it realizing that 90% of the story is not accurate at all, you'll love it. It's obviously based in the early 20th century, and it's about the manufacturing of the Titanic and kind of the people involved and has a little bit of a side love story. And it's about workers' rights and the formation of labor unions and things like that over in Ireland. Yeah, it's just a really interesting piece. Good characters, good acting. So what is your second recommendation? Okay, everyone, like Sassanac Files Universe, I'm so excited to talk about this because I've been messaging Chelsea ever since I started it. So like the first 20 minutes into the first episode, I was like, oh my God, I love this show so much already. Okay, it's called Penny Dreadful. It has 27 episodes. It's a Showtime show, but all the episodes are on Netflix. So um, be prepared to see nudity, all that stuff. But like, I will say it's got some gore in it. And it was kind of daunting for me because I'm not used to watching a lot of that. And then plus going from Outlander to that show was a little like, whoa, or shameless. So um, be prepared for gore. And there's some paranormal activity-ish going on in it. It's got Josh Harnett. Okay, everybody like that guy's freaking amazing. I really did not know how great of an actor he was. I've been seeing so many random things with him in it. And I just went, he's just amazing. So it has him, Eva Green, Timothy Dalton, and Billy Piper for anybody who knows those people. And bunch of other familiar faces. It's a period show, kind of set in the uh, Jack the Ripper time. It is an excellent show from beginning to end. I can't wait to rewatch it at some point because there's so much to that story. It's kind of like the leftovers and lost kind of thing where it all kind of connects and it's, it's really good. And Josh Harnett, I will say a side note, is like freaking hot in this show. Yeah, I just, oh my God, I love it. And I will point out that there was two legitimate things that disturbed me in the show. So kind of keep that in mind. Like in the first season, it just was like, that's really icky. And I don't like stuff like that. So be aware of that. And in the second season, it was more so it kind of just made me sad, the disturbing thing. So 
other than that, everything else was just solid. And I just thought it was really well written. And there are just some solid episodes. Like, the actors do an amazing job with the dialogue they get. Because there were some moments where I was like, what just happened? That was just delivered terribly. Or, like, you know, they just write these things down trying to get the point across too soon or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't land. But it's really just a solid show and I love it. So thank you to Allison, who is one of our listeners. She did good. Thank you. So is it over the show or are there more seasons coming or what's the deal? Oh, yes. So it's 27 episodes total. It finished, I'm going to say like a couple years ago, if I'm remembering correctly. The first season has eight, the second season has 10, and the third season has nine episodes. I really wish it had had a couple more episodes for the final season because it partly felt rushed. And I think it was because they were just trying to complete everything. But I'm sure it'll feel less choppy-ish once I do a rewatch, like I think most episodes. Because sometimes Outlander episodes can feel that way. Where it's like, well, that was like really random and like what's going on. And then you rewatch and you're like, okay, it all flows much better now. Again, it's all on Netflix or if you have Showtime, it's all on there as well. And I think a lot of you would like it. Very yeah. cool. Alrighty, guys. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Sassanac Files. As always, you can find us on iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Also, feel free to shoot us an email at thesassnackfiles at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments about this episode or any of our previous episodes. Join us next week when we talk 111, The Devil's Mark. And this is a big one for the Outlander universe. So we are really excited to talk about it. Until next week, guys, you stay safe out there and we will chat at you later. Bye. Bye.